Hello, welcome to Landmaforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Landmaforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today, I am joined by Blake Lulee, a songwriter who releases music as Rainwater. I first came across Rainwater's album Saturn Return shortly after it was released on Furious Hooves, the label that also released my own album Sisyphean a few years ago. As it turns out, Luli and I shared another connection as he used to play in the bands Houth and Airwaves in Brooklyn, New York. However, we never actually ran into each other while living in the same city. These days, Luli lives in Seattle, where, in addition to writing music, he works as an elementary school teacher. Rainwater's most recent album, In Between, came out on August 13th, and it trades in the more ornate production of Saturn Return for a insular take on Luli's soft rock-inspired sound. This seemingly chill aesthetic serves as the backdrop for a group of songs grappling with grief and anxiety. Luli and I had a great conversation about the album, about him becoming a father, finding new music in your 30s, and much more. Thank you for listening. So you mentioned that you haven't really been making any music in a minute. Is that like a conscious thing or just like life getting in the way? Yeah, I think it's life. Yeah, I, I had a child um, in May and that's been a very all-consuming activity. And then now I'm starting up work as a teacher, which in a normal year is all-consuming. In a mm-hmm. COVID freaky year, it's it's like all-consuming and anxiety-inducing. And so like right. I've played, I got a piano this summer and that's, I've been playing it, but it's been very fragmented. You know, I'll like write a verse and then it'll mm. disappear or like live, in a, live as a voice memo till God knows when. <laughs> like a full-on piano? Like yeah, or well, baby? Or? Well, it's like a um, upright. Upright, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Nice. You're in Seattle, is that right? Yeah, I'm in Seattle. Is that where you are from originally, or did you no. end up there? I uh, so I was grew up. Uh, I was born in Texas. I grew up in New Jersey, and then I moved to Brooklyn after high school, and I lived there for about a decade. And then I just moved to Seattle recently. Um, oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like you. You also being in Brooklyn. I don't. You said you moved there in 2017. Is that right? Moved back there in 2017. Oh, okay. Yeah. I left in 2016. So. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh, gotcha. Past... So we overlapped just briefly when I was in the end of high school. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Huh. Nice. Were you playing in bands and stuff in Texas? Like how, how early did you get into music? Well, I left Texas when I was four. So my oh, musical aspirations were more um, rudimentary <laughs> at that point. Um, but in New Jersey where I grew up, yeah, I played in bands. Nothing... Um, of note are good, I would say, but you know, had, I had a lot of fun, like high school bands. Mm-hmm. And then in, in Brooklyn, yeah, I played with a, a group called Airwaves and then a group called Hoth. That was like the two projects I played with in uh, Brooklyn. Yeah. And then since moving to Seattle, Rainwater has been just kind of like a fun way of doing my own songs and stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Were you not like the the lead songwriter in those earlier projects, or? Yeah, no, I was. I was not. I was like the guitar player or guitar synth kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How'd you first start playing guitar? Just buying guitar and like strumming all the strings and like screaming. And my parents were like, "Why did we buy this thing?" I have a picture <laughs> of it, and it's like me looking. I'm mean, I'm ten years old, and I look like really miserable. And then the caption on it's like a Polaroid, and the caption says, "Must have been breakfast." Like I guess because of how miserable I look, and I, it's just a funny picture because it's like the day I got my first guitar, but I just don't look. That I think maybe I was like trying to, it, you know, it was mid '90s. I'm trying to emulate, you know, Kurt Cobain vibes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hard. If you look excited with the guitar, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Uh, so that was was that like the kind of stuff that you were listening to as like a formative influence like what what kind of music um, got you excited to play you know it's funny is like i grew up in a religious home and so like my parents limited what i could listen to and so i think you know when i was like around 10 i listened to like a lot of like jars of clay and dc talk all this like christian rock and some of it you know hmm. and then like in sixth grade, I started listening to like Christian ska and punk, like MXPX. And like, so my formative stuff was all this like stuff that I could, my parents would actually let me buy. <laughs> um, was there a point where you like turned to secular music or do you, do you remember like a, a crossover moment or something like a, when a, a moment where the, th- the field sort of expanded for you or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it was probably sixth grade, but like I remember distinctly like I had burned copies of it was it was quite a um, a flip, you know, going from Christian music. And then I had a burnt copy of Marilyn Manson's Antichrist Superstar. So it was like a full 360. And, you know, Marilyn Manson, terrible person. Now that we all know that. Um But that was like it was kind of cool. I think for me, it was a discovery moment of like, oh, man the devil can be cool or, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's just like a weird, a weird moment of kind of like realizing that like, you know, it's not, there's music outside of that um, Christian music bubble in in every direction. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I also had like, I feel like that was the year I had like Deftones, White Pony as well. Um, it's like eighth grade is when I started to kind of really branch out and listen to a lot of different stuff. And then a lot of like emo like get up kids and alkaline trio and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I was going to say growing up in, in Jersey, I feel like that was, you know, especially during that era. Um, so much of what I think of like the, the like New Jersey bands were that like sort of harder edge pop punk and emo kind of stuff. I feel like the whole tri-state area was kind of overflowing with that sort of stuff in the early two thousands. And Yeah, for sure. I think Thursday was probably the, first like local Jersey band that I listened to like that. And they were extremely formative. Definitely once I started like playing electric guitar and was forming bands, it was like, you know, around eighth grade, freshman year of high school. And it was like listening to a lot of Thursday. Yeah. And like thrice, I feel like those two were the big mm-hmm. and they were, yeah, they both were on Island. I remember. So they were like the two bands Island was like, we're going to make, emo sell big but and lo and behold it worked yeah maybe not for thursday but for other bands they i feel like that uh was it full collapse that record did pretty serious numbers for a band of that kind of like 
scene, but yeah, you're right. They never had like the, the, my chemical romance breakout, like pop single kind of career arc. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you mentioned thrice though. Cause I feel like a lot of that same scene was like pretty heavily Christian at the time. And even thrice, I, I rem- at least yeah. my, my conception of them were as like a pseudo Christian band, at least starting out. Yeah, that's true. Now that you mention it, I'm remembering that as well. Yeah, it's funny. I remember. Um, I don't. I don't think it was thrice. It was probably like one of those Christian ska bands I introduced my Jewish friend to, and then he later on in life we were joking. He's like, "I felt like you tried to trick me into liking that Five Iron Frenzy." <laughs> you didn't tell me that they were a Christian band. It was like the. It's like the hidden agenda. I remember doing that, but in like the opposite direction I, in college, I had, uh, a, I, I was not raised religious and I was a, you know, scumbag metalhead in high school and all that. And so I got really into Opeth, but they have all these like soft songs. And so I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to trick this guy. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get him listening to some of the acoustic Opeth songs. It's like, yeah, go check out some other ones, <laughs> you know, see yeah. what happens. <laughs> Next thing you Next know. Next thing you know. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of mentioned that like that earlier high school stuff is not, you know, you sort of hand waved it. And understandably, I'm not going to like dig into your high school bands if you don't want to talk about them at length. But it seems <laughs> like those other two bands that you mentioned um, that you were in in Brooklyn, that was something that you were taking a bit more seriously. How did how did you get in into the whole like Brooklyn music scene and all that? Hmm. Well, yeah, I'd say I w- when I first moved to Brooklyn, I um, I was interning at this studio called the Seaside Lounge, which is a really rad mm. studio. And I found it because I had just gotten into the Nationals Boxer and they had like done some of the overdubs there or something. I was like, oh, that's cool. And it's a really rad, like mostly analog studio. And I think that's kind of like how I met a lot of people. Honestly, I was a terrible intern. I feel like I just didn't have any motivation to like, do the recording engineer part. I loved making music. And then I was like, oh, it's kind of mm-hmm. boring, like being the guy who just clicks record. I kind of like realized it in the process of interning, but I got to meet a lot of cool people and learn a lot about recording through the process. And I'd say that was probably my biggest introduction. And and that's how I met the guy who who was the singer, songwriter, and host. And then, and then we just started playing out a lot. Like we formed a band around his songs and started playing out. And then that's actually how I got linked up with Airwaves too. So it's kind of like just went off from there. Where were you playing in the city? Uh, Yeah. Where were we playing, man? I mean, we played like all the like Cameo, Glasslands, I don't think Host played at DBA, but like Airwaves played at DBA and like all the DIY spots um shea stadium was a huge one hugely formative mm. it's like especially with Hoth, they always gave us a shot to like put together a bill and like w- they recorded our sets a few times and it was just so fun to like yeah that place ruled um so that was super formative for sure were you also like writing your own material at the time or just doing this sort of sideman thing yeah, I mean, I always like liked writing my own stuff, but I felt like I couldn't really sing. Like, I, I never felt comfortable singing until like a couple of years ago. I feel like so I would like write mm-hmm. things but keep it to myself, or I would make like ambient, dirgy kind of um, instrumental music, and like, and I did that for a while under the name Ajnabi, and that was like, yeah, th- but I, that was like the stuff I was writing and actually putting out outside of my projects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
were you like going to did you had you like went to school for audio production how did you end up going that route oh yeah i did i went to like a program for a year but then i ended up and i ended up going to when i i went to college kind of later like at first i was like not sure I wanted to go to college. And then when I finally went to college, I studied music composition mm-hmm. for undergrad. So that was that was a really great experience too. Um, not exactly like a lucrative major, but uh, at the same time had so much fun and got to make like really weird music. And I feel like when you're able to like do it in the academic context, you feel rewarded for it. Outside of school, once you graduate, you're like, wait, no one rewards you for making this esoteric music. Oh, no. Um, so then you have to figure out what to do. But um, but in the moment, it was a really great experience. So I think, yeah, I got like that kind of formal music training with theory and composition. And then also, yeah, like a year-long program for recording. Although mm-hmm. I don't, I feel like I learned a lot more in, at Brooklyn College where I went for music composition. Mm-hmm. Were you touring at that time or was it more sort mm-hmm. of just strictly a local thing? I mean, we did a tour with that band host that I was in. We did like a, you know, I like emailed all the people. And so it was kind of a very hit or miss, like total DIY national tour where no one made any money. But we had just an immense amount of fun because at that point it was like my now wife was in the band. My best friend from high school was in the band and my other friend from high school was in the band and then the singer. So it was like a lot. It was just like a very uh, familial experience. So I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I, that was about that only tour. And then with Airwaves, um, I got to do a bit more touring later on. But that was after I was out of college. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you enjoy touring? Like, is the live music part of it like a, a big part of your musical life? Or are you more of the writing and recording side of things? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot with COVID. You know, like right. the yeah. fact that like live music has been so interrupted, both in terms of performing it. And then also going to it. And like for me, it was already interrupted for performing it because I was in grad school and then I was an elementary school teacher. So it doesn't lend itself to playing the DIY show till one in the morning on a Tuesday. And yeah, I I, I like touring and I had a great time touring um, on the tours that I was able to go on. But I don't miss it at all, I guess, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of like that was fun. Now it's done kind of thing with touring. Like I don't I don't really I think. There's a, it's hard when you're not like, well, even if you are a bigger band and you're touring, it's, it, it's so, um, you feel so displaced. I feel like, like you're just in a new city every day and you're kind of like expected to, um, you're expected to be on in a way that's like, you know, like if you're with an opening band and it's, that's a special night for them, but for you, it's one of like 30 nights. And yeah, right. I feel like it, it can be really socially exhausting and, I don't know. So like I look back fondly on all the touring experiences and the friendships I've built through touring, like people all all over the world, really. And that's super cool. But like, I feel like I've kind of retired from that in a way that I feel very comfortable with. It's funny because like when I think of what it must be like to be an elementary school teacher, I feel like that is also you kind of have to be on every day and would be its own kind of exhausting. The difference Mm -hmm. is just like, with a being in a touring band, it's more like babysitting drunks versus yeah, right? <laughs> taking care of children. So yeah. 
Yeah. Or like, and it's also like, I think the thing with touring is you're building different, like the people you're on tour with, you build that very strong bond with, but you also have to Mm -hmm. build all these like really strange temporary things where you're like four people's best friend for a night and then you never talk to them again, you know, or something Mm -hmm. like that. And like with teaching, at least you're like for the year, you're like that you're with the same group of people. You get to build a stronger connection. But yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I think so I have carried, I like exhausting work. I like, um, but, but at the same time, I've moved on to a different kind of exhausting work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that how, is touring how you met the Furious Hooves folks? Uh, no, how did I meet? Um, I met, I met Ryan through, um, I believe Anna, I forget Anna's last name. She ran like a, 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 I don't even know if I'm saying the name, a poly, a polylean sound. I can't even remember how to, I'm trying to pronounce it. sound? Is that yeah, it? they put out yeah. Fraternal Twin, who um, is like oh. someone whose release I really enjoyed. Um, so Anna had like known Ryan through Captured Tracks, I believe. And so that's mm-hmm. how, yeah. And then just the rest was history after that kind of. Yeah. So when did you start kind of shifting away from being in other people's bands towards Rainwater and making your own music? Yeah, I feel like it was it corresponded with playing in Airwaves because I think with Host, it was like this band where all everyone in the band was taking it extremely seriously and it was kind of like big or bust. And mm-hmm. let's just say it was a bust ultimately. <laughs> um, and we took it like seriously to the detriment of like the music and our friendships um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And so with Airwaves, I was able to like participate in a way that was more like just about having fun making music and um, and I think that gave me some space to pursue my own songs as well. And so that, that's kind of when I started like gathering together pieces and made my first album, which is a very pieced together uh, collection. And then when I moved to Seattle, that's when I feel like it became more of like a group that was like playing shows um, and like gotcha. the recordings were more like live based. Yeah. Um, speaking just briefly, I, I don't necessarily want to like dig up any sort of personal dirt or anything. But when you mention the music suffering from the Mm. ambition, what comes to mind? Like how did the music, how was it negatively impacted by that? Like go big or go bust kind of. Yeah. I feel like it was just kind of a lack of separation, like allowing creative space to be sacred is something that I think Mm -hmm. I really value now. Like the idea of like creating a space that's like void of like, um, I don't know, like promotion and things like that um, when mm-hmm. you're creating music. And I think it all got kind of tangled up uh, with hosts because we thought we had to like make it big, you know, and, and instead, and not everyone in the band felt this way, I'm pretty sure, but I did. And and so I think it, it got in the way of like, of just feeling the joy, like why I love music. And I feel like, um, yeah, so it's about like touching that sacred space, that creative space that um, when it touches like, capitalism which it inherently has to do no matter what kind of music you're making but but you gotta i feel like it's important to keep it separate from the creation and the creative process what kind of steps do you take to more securely keep those things separate at this point in your life well with rainwater it's always been like it's been an outlet like honestly rainwater has from the get it's been more like um uh therapy than 
<laughs> than commercial viability. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like the lyrics are all like me processing childhood moments and uh, or more recently processing more recent things. Um, but yeah, like writing the songs has been the therapeutic. That's been the benefit for me. I feel like the the like my payoff from Rainwater has been like being able to express challenging things um and then like sure once i actually put it out in the air i try to like engage with the promotion side of things but not until it's like a done deal i think that's the thing that's different now is like and not playing as many live shows has helped with that like Mm -hmm. because i'm not trying to push myself with that like i can bring out this many heads to the venue you know like um it's (laughs) i feel like that's a that's like um promoter lingo how many heads right. can you bring up um <laughs> but yeah so i feel like i'm able to just create music that i love and with friends and and it's a really joyful experience and then i can like do the kind of dreaded promotional aspect of things to a whatever degree i feel comfortable with <laughs> mm-hmm. certainly yeah, yeah yeah have you noticed that when you have that more concrete separation and have that more uh, therapeutic approach that the, not just the lyrical content, but the musical content changed with that? Like, do you find yourself making a a different like sound or different style in that more personal space than you would if you were perhaps considering the promotional angle? Hmm. Yeah, I think I haven't thought about like making, I haven't thought about like, oh man, is this going to be successful? I'm like, probably not. Like, that's how I go into everything. And so I don't think I'm not like, what's the cool hip sound? Because first of all, I'm in my 30s now. I don't know what the cool hip sound is. I'm not going <laughs> to be able to tap into the like, you know, zeitgeist. Um, and so why try? And so I feel like my music is more so influenced by what I'm listening to or what a friend turns me on to, or like what I think my friends will like as a, and like, so of course, like, um, external factors are a part of it, but it's more like friend, it's more community based than, um, than Mm -hmm. commerce based. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Do you recall like any new influences that entered into your life or like new sounds that really inspired you around the time that you started, really uh diving more into to rainwater as your main project uh i mean that's changed over the time i think like that first album was a lot of like ambient and like sugaros and like um microphones kind of like kind of like soundscapey folk kind of music but then as it went along i feel like i was keeping that backbone of like i feel like the microphones like phil album stuff that kind of confessional style has been uh important influenced the whole time but then like I've also just been influenced by a variety of things I think with the most recent record I was listening thinking about Arthur Russell a lot and mm-hmm. um and just like how he recorded so many genres of music but it it all kind of feels quintessentially like him and it just kind of yeah and and also like influenced specifically by like specific albums like the um the one that has that's us wild combination like that disco-y sound and then that new one iowa dream i feel like there's just all these like it's kind of homespun and it's super poppy and it's like if this was if this went to i feel like arthur russell songs it's like it could have been done in a way that could have been really successful at the time but instead it's this weirdo really catchy poppy song that's like clearly made by someone who's just having fun and you can tell mm. And so that was a big influence 
and then probably most recently that like um didn't make that much of its way onto the album but like a little bit was um king sunny adi who's like a nigerian um it's like it's called juju music and it's like so it's like kind of like afro pop feel but then he threw in slide guitar and synthesizer so mm-hmm. or like a not slide guitar, lap steel and synthesizer yes. so it's yeah, got yeah. these like it's this really weird mashup of styles that i feel like i've like been like i want to try to emulate this i don't think i'm doing it in a way where anyone else would know that that was what I was trying to emulate, but it's been influential to me. <laughs> Are you, I mean, I'm all, I've just relatively speaking recently entered my thirties and I feel like one of the big cliches about getting older is that you stop looking for more music, not necessarily like, cause keeping up with the youth is one thing, but kind of keeping an open ear and finding more, sounds even if it's from the past is like another and have you do you still actively like search out for new music or for music that you haven't heard before or interesting sounds that like you haven't come across before in your life oh absolutely i feel like i i have to i feel like yeah it feels like a necessity to me to Mm -hmm. like find just like because music to me is so um it's just so it's so important to like my mental well-being I feel like and there's just something about like hearing a a special song for the first time and like I love uh, I have I hold a lot of records dear to me but at the same time I love here finding a new like favorite song or favorite new artist as well and I think it might not be like new like current like you were saying it might be digging into the past but I feel like that is something that I, I I value a lot and like sometimes I have to force myself to do it but Mm-hmm. It's I I try to still do that. Yeah. What are like the avenues that you go down to find new music? I feel like a lot of times it's friends. It's like, mm-hmm. like what are my friends listening to, you know? And then it, sometimes like, you know, like Twitter, like keeping up on social media with like whatever people are posting about. And then like, I don't know. I love also, I love, I don't know if you know what Mississippi Records is. It's like a Pacific Northwest. It's in Portland. And they put out a bunch of like kind of unknown stuff from the past. Like some of it's mm. like like 60s soul music that never got it, like at the Motown do. And or it's a lot of like cool music from different places in Africa as well. It's like a, it's a wide variety of different kinds of music. And it's all stuff from the past that just never quite got its shine. And I love finding out, finding stuff from them. Like some of my favorite records most recently are just stuff that they've been reissuing. Mm -hmm. So that's been, that's another cool way to like discover old music. (laughs) Speaking of the Pacific Northwest, how did you end up in that part of the country? Oh yeah. Uh, Let's see. How did I end up here? (laughs) Well, my wife is from, Portland Aviva she's from she grew up in Portland and we were just trying to kind of figure out like do we want to move to Portland or Seattle and Aviva's sister um was having a baby when we were thinking about moving and so we were like let's move and she lives in Seattle so we were like let's move to Seattle and then I I was just along for the ride I think you know outside of music my New York experience was gig economy working you know a different job every day of the week and it was uh very unsustainable so I was like I could do that anywhere I could find six jobs or I could (laughs) go to a place that's a little calmer and try to like figure out a job which is what Mm. I did with teaching yeah (laughs) how do you you like it there 
I love it. It's just, it's a city, you know, Seattle's a, a big city, but it's just trees everywhere. And I live, I live South now where it's a lot more houses and I just have green out my window now and I have mm. like relative quiet and I, yeah. And I think just ha- being able to go, like we have a nice Japanese garden around the corner. We have like this like short nature hike a mile away. And like, these are things that just are, I feel like they're relatively foreign in New York. Like I remember when I was in Bushwick, you know, it's like, you go to Maria Hernandez Park. It's uh, it's not exactly like stepping out into the wild, you know. Um, <laughs> you see, you might see some wild stuff, but oh, there's the wild, wild stuff, but it's not, <laughs> it's not a sea of green. Right. Yeah. You um, might smell some green, but you don't. See green. <laughs> well, that's certainly the case in Seattle as well, from my yeah, experience. Yeah, that's true. What was it like bringing more people? into the rainwater project and turning it into more of a band like how did you navigate that more collaborative process with your songs Hmm. that's a it's an interesting thing because i feel like being the guy who plays guitar in a band and i know that you've played in some bands too so maybe you feel this way too it's like you all you think whenever you have your own thing it's like i want to make it what i wished um that project with a different leader was or something. And I feel yeah. like, I don't think I succeeded with that by any stretch, but I feel like at first, when I first moved to Seattle, that was a big goal. I wanted to have a really collaborative, very like um, everyone was able to contribute in whatever way felt right for them way. Everyone able to contribute in whatever way felt right. But I think, yeah, and I think ultimately the first we, we made one album, a very collaborative, like everyone working together. Um, and that was Saturn Return, the last one that mm-hmm. we made. And it's funny because in between is like very solo projecty. It has like Aviva singing on some songs. It has my cousin Amy singing on some songs and my friend Steven. But other than that, it's like, it's very much like um, me being neurotic in the bedroom making stuff. Um, and I feel like, I like both ways, but I'm, I'm realizing like, I do like having that creative control of like picking out a lot more of the stuff. And I feel like, so I've been thinking more about like making something else, working collaboration, maybe where the expectations are more explicit. Like this is my thing, but I want you to bring your element to it. And I feel like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I saw it as more um, black and white before, like, you're either in a collaborative band or you're just playing along in someone else's band. Kind of like, yeah. I don't know if that makes right. sense. <laughs> it's either a democracy or it's an authoritarian state. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like that. It could just be an explicit conversation where someone's allowed to have a complete creative vision and have mm-hmm. other creative people have, have that clearly stated so that they can have their own expectations out in the air. I don't know if that makes sense. but No, totally. I think about this kind of like how uh, the like the internal administrative structure of creativity in bands, like is kind of fascinating to me because mm. I feel like one of the things that growing up, I feel like there was such a premium placed on like all of the songs. Everyone has to agree on them, you know? Mm-hmm. And if, if we don't all agree in the band on the song, then the song just never gets finished. And as I've gotten older, I feel like most of the musicians that I know have either actually opened up into more like, true improvisatory democratic sort of stuff where you know and when you're improvising like you can't stop someone from making a choice you know yeah um or kind of sliding further the other direction where like most of the bands that i know are kind of these like 
orbit around a single songwriter or at yeah. most uh like one and a half songwriters where like maybe there's one other person that has like very serious input and maybe people have like a input on their own individual parts but the the broader structure is all controlled by one person yeah i think it's honestly easier i, I think about like fleetwood mac another big huge influence by the way i didn't mention them earlier should have mm. because i feel like making uh, a Fleetwood Mac song has been like I have never successfully done it in a way where I'm like that's the Fleetwood Mac song but like I've tried a million times uh, um, uh. but I feel like you know that's a band where you have four songwriters and and then you know you hear about the band and you hear about all the drama they had and it's like that sounds so stressful I, I don't know right. why you would do that <laughs> but then they also have some of the most like successful albums of all time oh, of course. So it, yeah. it worked like whether or not it was fun to go through while they were you know making those records is one thing, but the results kind of speak for themselves. Absolutely. I think, yeah, that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, if it, it can be really magical, but you have to like really commit and really mm -hmm. be down for probably a relatively like uncomfortable time when you're making mm -hmm. an album, when you're trying to like give everyone that equal voice and actually do it. <laughs> so for, I first, heard your stuff on on Saturn Return um was that like a studio record or did you record it yourselves like how did that one come about yeah that was mostly studio we recorded it at the unknown which is a studio up in Anacortes it was like built by Phil Elvram and um and Nick Wilbur and Nick Wilbur's the guy who recorded it it's like it's like an old Polish community center uh with like huge ceilings create that's how it's kind of like a real big drum sound in that room mm. and yeah so we, and then we recorded it to tape and then I did a lot of like overdubs at home like all the synths and a lot of the keyboards and vocals and stuff and gotcha. then we mixed it back at the studio and that was like my only time doing that like seeing the whole like mixing process with someone else with Rainwater and I realized Nick did a great job but I realized like I like I like twiddling with knobs um endlessly <laughs> mm -hmm. uh so I, I that's why this time it was fun to mix it again i still had nick master it though <laughs> right that's something that i feel like yeah you gotta leave that to yeah. someone else <laughs> that's it to, to record mix and master your own record is just cruel that's like you just like that's not self-care right there you gotta take care of yourself mm -hmm. you can't do that yeah, I was, I was thinking, like, I was, like, listening back and forth between Saturn Return and In Between, and I was kind of, like, I'm glad that you pointed out the difference in the way that they were constructed, because it is sort of, like, startling, the the difference in, like, arrangement style and sonic quality in a lot of ways. They're just, like, kind of their own little different worlds, which is cool, you know, you don't want to hear someone repeat themselves. Like, there's all the, like, the harmonized guitars and full-on drum set on saturn return and then listening to in between it's like you're right it's much more direct and intimate in a lot of ways it was that just like a logistical covid thing or was that something that you wanted to get back to after saturn return i had every intention of doing the next album which i had already like a lot of these songs written before covid i had every intention of mm -hmm. doing it with the the band and some capacity like some of those people moved away but with some people but then yeah i think it became a matter of like, when do I have time to actually work on music? And it's like random little moments in between, which is like where the kind of like where the name came mm. from. Just like mm -hmm. I had this time. So it just didn't seem feasible to like try to involve other people. It didn't, it seemed like it would be 
dragging its feet for a few years to complete the project. Um, and then I just started making it. I think when COVID hit, I had a little extra time in the beginning because my grad classes were like figuring out how do we do teaching school online? And then mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, I'm going to record a bunch of music in these this week while they're figuring that out. Yeah. And so I, yeah. And then I'd already like started a lot of the songs beforehand or some of them were like maybe more demos. And then I, I was like, okay, let's keep it in this like um, self-recorded vein. And so I, I like polished stuff up. But yeah, I think I like, I like both styles, but like, I think the home recording with in between, it was really like the Arthur Russell thing where it, it sounds like one person kind of like making the decisions for better or for worse. Like I feel like mm-hmm. sometimes the groove on the drum machine, I wish I had a better groove and, or like a way to make it so that it wasn't either quantized, quantized, um, quantized, quantized, that it wasn't either quantized or um, like too loose. I feel like that natural groove of a drum machine. I like, with a lot of these songs, I, I was like, if this had a real drummer, it would just groove a little more. And mm. But at the same time, it's kind of cool to like hear one person's just like creative vision. I feel like I enjoy that. So I had fun doing that with this. And then I had always had in my mind, like, maybe someday I'll play these songs with a band. If that ever makes sense. Like knowing, like, you know, if, knowing that that might not happen too. But yeah, so I think it was kind of like necessity mixed with like, seizing a moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what was on your mind lyrically at the time when you started writing these songs? Yeah, I feel like this album um, started to kind of take shape. It was like, I, uh, me and my wife got married in 2017 and then we took our honeymoon in 2018. Like, right. It was like um, right before the new year, we were going to spend new years there and we were in Mexico. We were in Bacalar and the front cover of the album is that VW bug that's on the Bacalar Lagoon. Mm. And it was like this magical spot. We were finally like unwinding. And then um, I got to call it like my grandfather had passed away. And it was like this thing where me and my wife, me and Aviva, I'm going to stop saying my wife. I always try to do this because I feel like framing. Anyways, I'm not going to get into that. I'm just going to refer to her as Aviva. Uh, but me and Aviva always like, um, are not good at trips. We're good at going to visit people. But we're not good at like taking a vacation. So we had finally settled into vacation mode. And then it's like, okay, tragedy. Then we came back and, um, and I feel like I just started. Yeah. And then we went, our honeymoon got cut short. And then after that, there was just a lot of people passing in our orbit. Like um, we had, we had in my family, there were a few people that passed. And then my wife's family, there, and Aviva's family, there were a few people that passed. And then we had a friend pass away as well. And it was just like this time where I was just kind of like thinking about more mortality as well as thinking about like grief in terms of the people that I had actually lost, but thinking about it in a broader sense because it had been kind of a lot. And some of it had been, some of it had been a little more distant. Some of it had been a little closer. And I'd say that lasted until about, Actually, my friend who passed was like that week before everything shut down in March. Oh, and wow. so it was it was kind of like a, a death in every season leading up from when my grandfather passed in the, um, the end of 2018 to that spring of 2020. We had had like someone pass away. And so I think that was really kind of shaping a lot of the um, lyrical content. And then also just like the the bond that like Aviva and I have been able to build through that and also through like you know a lot of life changes ourselves yeah so i think that that, those were the biggest influences Mm. lyrically 
Yeah, that's, I, I was thinking about how there could be, you could perceive a certain kind of contrast between the, and I, I want to like be clear that I don't necessarily know if this like mental model actually works. And I don't mean it in any sort of like disrespect to the music, but I'm just like presenting a framing that we can kind of dig into is like, you could see the lightness or the uh, sort of chillness of the music itself as being like a contrast to the very like heavy mortality themed lyrics. How do you see that balance between like the aesthetics of the music and the themes of the, of the lyrics? Like do, do those two things clash to you or do they make more sense than I'm, than my framing is like allowing? Yeah. Well, I mean, I do, I think they do clash and I think it was intent. It was intentional for sure to have mm-hmm. that. Like I was trying to also make like the danciest kind of like poppiest music and not to say that it's like super poppy, but for me, it's more poppy than anything I had made. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it was very intentional to make it like kind of keep my same lyrical style of kind of being therapeutic and working through things. And that's what I was working through at the time, but then musically trying to have that contrast it. And I think, I think ultimately that came from kind of realizing that life is so complex and like those good things, like when you have a tragedy happen, it's also mixed up. Like you go to the funeral and you're laughing about something that that person did, or you're laughing about a memory. Um, And it just all, and I think I was, I was just coming to realize that at this time, like realizing how more than one thing can exist at once and Mm. often does. And I, I kind of like the idea of that duality living, or not even a duality. Uh, multiplicity. Mul- multiplicity yeah. living in music, I think. And mm-hmm. I think that was, a, it was an intentional move. And uh, <laughs> I, I recognize that it is kind of funny. A lot of people are like, yeah, it's like chill, chill soft rock, nice chill vibes. And I'm like, you didn't listen to the lyrics, I guess. <laughs> I get it, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting because I was thinking the song that like immediately jumped out to me on the first time I've listened to it. And it's kind of, I feel like a, a lyrical linchpin in a lot of ways is clean air because, and maybe I might be mixing up some lyrics, some other songs. So forgive me, but that one I think mentions there's like a, a line about mindfulness and a line uh, the this kind mm-hmm. of sensation of like that awareness of those kind of things coexisting. And you could view the song as being like somewhat, you know, the, the there's obviously kind of a climate change angle to take with it as well. But it seems like the, it's a, it's a song that is concerned, not just with like the dark parts, but getting through the dark stuff in life. Is that a fair read? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that song, it's kind of funny. It's really just like a thank you to my anti-anxiety medication. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, so I think I was saying that like, uh, um, it is, it, it, it's like kind of a thank you to my anti-anxiety medication, but also like some of the practices I've done to work through anxiety. Because like mm. uh, another thing I started about halfway through that period I was talking about of like experiencing a lot of loss and um and other personal change, like going to grad school and all that, um, I started therapy. And I think it really made, it made me see like the idea of me having anxiety as a complex thing. Like it could be a good thing to be 
hypervigilant. Um, and it can also be a bad thing. It's about keeping it in check. And mm -hmm. one thing that has helped me keep it in check is uh, the medicines listed in the lyrics of Clean Air. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it felt a little strange to explicitly state medication that I'm on. But at the same time, it felt like important because I think it's good to destigmatize that. But yeah, so I think it is like a positive thing. And it's like another thing I, I think the mindful moment was kind of a little bit of like, sarcasm um i mean mm -hmm. I, i'm a big believer in meditation but at the same time i think the whole song is kind of like you can do these things to keep your stress level low but at the same time the world is just really like outside of the, your personal bubble is like falling apart in a lot of ways and so that's one thing i was reflecting a lot on so it's both a sincere plug for taking care of yourself with medicine or therapy or mindfulness um but also like you know, if you can't or it doesn't work, it's okay. Like everything's pretty screwed up. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like having, I don't know if you're, if you've been following any of the Kanye stuff at all, but he's another person that's re like referenced Lexapro in his lyrics. And so I thought of that. But the thing about when he mentioned it, he t he's mentioning like not doing his drugs mm -hmm. in order to like be more creative. So I actually love that you have a more positive spin on it in your <laughs> in your lyrics because sometimes I feel like there's this really like gnarly um cliche about needing to be like nuts in order to make good art that I just think is like super unhelpful and having known a lot of artists who have struggled with a lot of you know rough shit in their lives like I can say pretty definitively that I prefer when they are healthier and I, and like more mentally stable and taking care of themselves compared to like that this romantic idea of like going off your meds to make great art so I honestly like really appreciate the fact that you sort of say so explicitly what you're talking about on that tune yeah cool yeah it is funny there is such that dynamic or or not maybe not like going off your meds it's either like going off your meds or like taking too many drugs like mm -hmm. which is that's another form of medication too and it's like yeah it's interesting i feel like that dynamic is maybe it makes you make great art but it's it's so unhealthy like i don't know i don't even think that's true but it's just right. like it's such an unhealthy coping mechanism <laughs> you mentioned that you're not sure whether this stuff will ever get played live uh is that just a matter of these songs not being like built for that or do you just not see that as being like as much of a part of your life anymore like how do you how do you stand on that yeah i think it's the latter i, I when i was making the songs i was trying to be intentional about making sure there weren't too many pieces like mm -hmm. not necessarily for a live show but like okay this could work as a live band like i could hear what the bass would be playing the lead guitar keys like I was thinking kind of almost about the setup that Rainwater had on Saturn Return um, in terms of the layers in the song. And I, yeah, it's just hard. I think it, when you have a busy life, it's hard to like sit there and like rehearse in a way that feels meaningful and like it will do the songs justice, hmm. especially because I didn't write these songs with the people. So they don't know them. It'd be like teaching um, as well. So I, I thought about it and I'm like, it'd be fun to try to figure that out at some point, but it would have to be like a, a, a reason. It's not, yeah, so I don't know. I I think it's the latter of just, like, it's hard to get five people in a room, or even, like, three people in a room to, like, practice when you're leading, like, a busy life that mm -hmm. that has 
Whereas, whereas it's a lot easier to just like record when you have a moment. <laughs> sure, sure. So I'd rather just like spend that time making more music. <laughs> How is it, you know, you mentioned that your life has kind of changed pretty dramatically in the, even in, it sounds like the period of time between starting to make the music and it coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that changed? Like how have you, have you changed how you feel about this particular record in the wake of those changes or has that changed the way that you would pers- like conceive writing new music going forward from in between? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I thought about it because I have written a few songs um, since the, well, not since the record came out, uh, but since like I was done with the record, you know, mm-hmm. and they're, they're a little more, um, they're less poppy. They're more like wordy and like abstract and like, and I, yeah, and I'm like, if I did these, I'd want them to like have like a groovy live drummer, like a jazz drummer. So, you know, I've been thinking mm-hmm. about, and it's just funny. And so I think the direction I took on in between, it's like, I don't feel any like obligation to do that more or not do it. Like, I think I'm going to let, I'm going to, if I happen to have the time to make more music and record these songs, which I hope to have some time, uh, then I'm going to kind of assess it in the moment and like because I but I do think the songs that I have been writing are a little more like um would benefit from less I feel like with electronic drums it's not it's pretty static like dynamically and I feel like uh, the new songs I'm writing I'm imagining more dynamic percussion specifically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that was something that I, I also noticed about the album is that there's this kind of even keeledness to the dynamics of it that I think is kind of part of what gives it its particular vibe, like going back to the sort of day by day mindfulness thing. I, that's maybe just like part of the reason why that particular concept hooked me so much is because the experience of listening to the record, it is sort of, you're just taking it day by day. Like there's not any sort of dramatic peaks or troughs. It's like sort of this steady experiential kind of thing, but that's cool that you're thinking about kind of taking it in a, in a, a, a more drastically dynamic kind of di- direction. Have you ever messed around with jazz or anything like that? Or is that just? Uh, very amateurly. Uh, I, I mean, and when I say jazz, I, I think I just mean like loose feeling, sure. um, like, and like flexible tempos and things like that. And I, 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 yeah. And I also love that jazz, jazz can be a lot of things too. Like I think about like, uh, what's it? Bitches brew, like that kind of like fusion of Miles Davis or like John, John Coltrane, Love Supreme, or then like Ornette Coleman. Like I'm thinking about like how not I'm not gonna make any music remotely like that. But I like that jazz can be like so varied. Um Right. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel like as much as possible allowing it to be as organic as as possible. Like letting mm-hmm. it be like, oh what go with your gut on it, you know, or, and, you know, and with like in between a lot of that was like, okay, I literally have to make a beat for this. Cause I don't know how I get drums on it in time, <laughs> you know? Um, so that could, that could, that's fine too. Um, limitations can be cool too. <laughs> Absolutely. And you mentioned that the stuff that you're writing now is a bit wordier. What, you know, if you don't feel like sharing, then, you know, I understand, but do you, what do you find yourself writing about these days? Uh, I think, you know, having a kid, that was the most recent, I wrote a few songs about like having the experience of like having a kid and being home this whole summer and just soaking up time with a newborn and just like thinking about the world and I think thinking about the experience of bringing life into the world. Um, 
So I think that that's been what's informing some of the newer stuff. But these are not even fully finished songs. And then, sure. and then like some of the songs I was writing before that, I think we're kind of following a continuation of the like of the kind of like mindfulness, but more like ob- observation. Like I think mm. in between is very clearly like about what's happening to me. Um, and maybe sometimes it's more observational. But now I'm I think I'm more like looking outward. Like, look at that bird in that tree and like writing about like that or maybe like maybe even personifying that and into a personal experience, but just kind of trying to look outward a little more. I think in between is a pretty like inward looking record. Gotcha. And I'm curious just what it's been like to like put out an album in this like in the state of COVID as it is, because <laughs> I feel like it's changed a lot since I started interviewing people about it. So I'm curious how you feel about like the reception and the experience of, you know, cause it can be sort of a lonely thing even when you can play shows and tour on a record to like, it's out, you know, and then it's just out there. Like yeah. what's it been like for you? Yeah. I think it goes back to that question about like separating the promotional side of things. And I think it's always like a little bittersweet putting something out because then it like exists. I, I feel like, do you know the Instagram band memes, 666? Yes, I do. Yeah. There's like one, I feel like um, maybe it was a tweet. Oh, maybe it was a tweet. It was not band meme 666. Great Instagram. But it was, I forget who tweeted this, but they were like talking about how like you spend a couple of years on a record and then like someone listens to it on their like built-in speaker and it's like pretty cool um (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) i forget who tweeted that but it was i just was like that's so true and i feel like there is a certain level of that like you have people you really care about and maybe they're like they're like yeah cool that's cool you did that thing and it's like yeah i I worked tirelessly over this for years (laughs) (laughs) it's like no one really appreciates that which is fine it's a a rather self-serving thing in a lot of ways i i get it but um but yeah it's like so I think that it's always bittersweet. But then when people do, um, like, kind of reach out and say, like, I love this song or, like, reach out with specifics, it really, it's really beautiful to have that experience of connecting with people through something you make, too. So I think it's just a bittersweet experience. And I think, yeah, I think putting it on COVID, it's like, like I said, without, with not really thinking about playing live shows, even if COVID wasn't a thing, it hasn't really changed the whole, like, release of the record, I think. Maybe I would have played a release show if... COVID wasn't around and I would have been really anxious about it and probably only partially enjoyed myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I fully enjoyed this conversation. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm excited to, to dig back into the record and, you know, see what else I can pull out of it. You know, I know that you've worked hard on it. So yeah, thank yeah. you for having the convo and for putting out the music. It's great to hear. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for asking. This is, it's super fun to just like dig deep in this, uh, on this stuff. All right. Well, yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And like, yeah, it's funny. We both existed in Brooklyn and did not cross paths, but you know, maybe life will, will have us cross paths some other time, but it's been lovely chatting. Thank you again for listening. And thank you, Blake, for joining me. You can find links to Rainwater's music in the description of this episode as well as links to my own tunes, if that interests you. If you liked this episode, send it to a friend. You can reach me at lamniformsband at gmail.com in case you want to submit any questions or if you have your own music that you'd like me to listen to. More episodes soon. Until next time.